On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla gives its smartphone app a gorgeous and long-awaited redesign. Plus, the Cybertruck gets a massive advertisement on the side of Giga Texas. A programming genius who also happens to be a Tesla owner is working on optimizing the UI on the older S's and X's and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey alongside Daisy the Boxer with you here for episode 317 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for August 29th, 2021 on a warm and very, unfortunately, smoky air day here in San Francisco. I've taken out our air purifiers and sadly the uh, wildfire situation in the neighboring areas continues to uh, progress and uh, wish just all the best to those affected because it is it is scary on a all too regular basis now. Uh, but let's talk Tesla because that's what I'm here for, and there is plenty of fun stuff to talk about. Starting with the newly redesigned Tesla app. Now all of you can get it. Just go to the App Store if you're an iPhone user, or the Google Play Store if you have an Android, and manually update your version if your smartphone hasn't already done it for you automatically. And I have to say, taking a look at it, poking around it, it's very clean. I like that. I'm a big fan of just minimalism and cleanliness, nothing overly busy in the UI, in the app. Now, for you multi-Tesla households, which I've talked about over time, I feel like I, I last really talked about this as the Model Y was was uh, getting ready to launch, but... I think more and more people are going to be multi-Tesla households because as, as I think a lot of you can relate to, you get one, you fall in love with it, and then you end up replacing any of your cars in your household with Teslas. So uh, for multi-Tesla households, a big change, a big welcome change in this app redesign is that you no longer have to open the app and swipe to the car you want to get into and drive in order for the phone key to work from your pocket as you approach the car. So that should be a really nice little quality of life feature improvement for those of you who are in that situation. Because it And if you're having trouble picturing what I'm talking about, it's basically, say you have a 3 and a Y in the house, and obviously they're both phone key cars, although granted the new S and X are as well now, but... So you go up, you want to take the Y, but you, you walk up, but the three was the last one you were in, so that's selected in the app. You walk up to the Y, you go to open the door, nothing happens, because you have to open the app, swipe over to get to the Y, and then the, the Model Y would unlock for you. So again, total first world problem for sure, but a fixable one, and Tesla has done just that with this app refresh. The new app also has the uh, ch max charging meter right on the home screen, so you don't have to dig into the app at all to get to it, which I think is pretty cool. I also like that it still shows, it gives you an estimate for what the mileage is going to be as you drag it up to successive points, and including all the way up, it'll give you your sort of full range estimate, So that which the old version of the app did. So that's nice and convenient. I like that. 
Uh, you also can set a profile picture for yourself in the app, which is just a nice little thing. You know, we're used to doing that on social media now, so you can set your own profile picture. And the render of your car at the top of the app screen looks a lot better too. Oh, and the font. The font in the new app matches what is in the new Model S UI, and therefore, I suspect, don't know for sure, but I suspect that we will then be seeing some sort of UI refresh coming up not too far from now on the 3 and the Y also. Because if that's the font in the new S, and now they've got that font in the uh, in the newly redesigned app, it certainly makes sense that the 3 and the Y are going to follow suit with a, with a UI refresh as well. So we'll see about that. Uh, next up this week, before I get to the rest of the proper Tesla news, I wanted to follow up on a big news item from last week's show, which was Elon's revelation at AI Day that Hardware 4 would debut in the Cybertruck in, quote, about a year. So naturally, this I started thinking about this after I recorded the show. I wish I'd sort of had more time beforehand, but it was late in the week. Anyway, doesn't matter. I'm talking about it now. Uh, it made me think of the other Tesla products that are due to go into production in 2022, namely the next generation Tesla Roadster that we're now going on almost four years. It's almost four years to the day since the unveiling of that. It is, uh, let's see, uh, three months in three months from now, it'll have been four years since the unveiling there. But anyway, uh, so I'm of two minds about this as I started thinking about the Roadster uh, related implications of Hardware 4 debuting in the Cybertruck in about a year. Now, one thought I had is that maybe, optimistically, it could mean that the Roadster does still debut next year, probably in the second half, which is what Elon last guided. But here's the case for that. So, because obviously the Roadster is completely contingent on the 4680 battery cells, as is the Cybertruck as is the Tesla Semi. If the 4680 cell uh, that that are required for that car and the Cybertruck again, if those 4680s, if they're only getting low yields out of the Cato Pilot battery facility, so they've got they've got some viable usable batteries, but not a ton. Well, what else would they go in but the Roadster? Because they're probably not going to switch over the Model Y production lines in Texas and Berlin to the 4680s until they have high enough yields on the 4680s to sustain the production demands of the Model Y. That is a high volume car. It's the highest volume car that Tesla makes, as you all know. And if the engineering is done on the Roadster in about a month from now, and why do I say that? Remember back to January, Elon had finally given us a tangible update on the Roadster and at the time on Twitter said that they expect to have a, quote, final design drivable by late summer, which is now-ish, right? Like we're in late August, so right around now, now to next, you know, a month from now, we're in late summer, that's now. So... Maybe, given all that, Tesla would finally say, okay, let's use the 4680 cells that we do have 
and finally build this thing because it's a low volume car, even though it'll be a large battery pack per Roadster, since it's due to have a 600 plus mile range, still uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to require very many battery cells, certainly not compared to what the Cybertruck production will demand and what the Model Y production will demand. Plus, you could look at it this way. What better way than the Halo car to debut the 4680 next generation battery cells to show everybody what Tesla's new battery technology can do? But then there's my other thought on this, my less optimistic thought, and uh, honestly, the one I'm kind of leaning towards right now. And that is maybe the Roadster is going to end up pushing out to 2023 because there's just no way that the Halo car that costs a quarter million dollars is going to ship sometime in the first half of 2022 before Hardware 4 is ready with Hardware 3. I mean, with 4 right around the corner uh, at that point in time, I can't imagine that that Tesla is going to produce any roadsters with the Hardware 3 because as I talked about last week, there's almost certainly not going to be an upgrade path from Hardware 3 to Hardware 4. Now, I suppose there is a third viable scenario here that the Cybertruck and Roadster end up debuting at about the same time in Q3 or Q4 of 2022. I mean, because Elon did say that the Cybertruck would be the first vehicle to get the, to get hardware for, but he didn't say by how long. I mean, maybe you know the Roadster debuts a month later or something. So uh, the, the fact of the matter there is both the Roadster and the Cybertruck are going to be built in different factories. So if they were to be built at about, if they were to go into production at roughly the same time, there's not really a direct overlap of production resources being used there. Now that Tesla is a multi-factory car company and the Cybertruck is inevitably going to ramp up a bit slowly. There's just, there's very little doubt about that. It's not going to be a Model Y situation where they're able to hit the ground running pretty fast, given that Elon has already told us repeatedly that the Cybertruck is a totally new way of building a vehicle, different from anything anyone has done before, including anything that Tesla has done before. So there will no doubt be a learning curve there on the production side for the Cybertruck. And so I think it's possible that they could do the low volume Roadster and start Cybertruck production with the initial yields of the 4680s, even if they are relatively low, since the truck will likely be in effect a low volume production vehicle in the beginning. Truck production can, maybe the plan is to to try to scale Cybertruck production right alongside the 4680 battery cell production in parallel. So in theory, I think maybe those two vehicles and those two things, the 4680 uh, volume production and uh, production ramp, I should say, and the Cybertruck production ramp could end up dovetailing nicely. So again, these are the things that I think about on my dog walks with Daisy. If you're curious what I'm like in real life, it's this. This is what I wander around thinking about. So we will see which, if any, of those scenarios that I just outlined end up coming true next year. Now, uh, let's move on with the rest of this week's proper Tesla news. And we start 
Speaking of the Cybertruck, you know I love my segues. Tesla is putting the Cybertruck loud and proud on the side of the Giga Texas facility. A video of this was posted on Twitter by the Tesla Owners Club of Austin, which I spotted via a story on Drive Tesla Canada. So I want to tip my cap to both of those organizations. And Drive Tesla Canada wrote it up saying, Crews have been working on building Giga Texas for just over a year with the hopes to have it up and running before the end of 2021. As it nears completion, a design element that didn't show up on any building plans has started appearing on the side of the new factory. A massive silhouette of the electric pickup truck has started appearing on the side of the General Assembly building that fronts the highway. Although it isn't complete yet, the angular shape is unmistakably that of the Cybertruck. Well, I would encourage you to go look at this for yourself. If you go to the Tesla Owners Club of Austin's Twitter, which is at Austin Tesla Club, it is, as the story notes, they're facing the adjacent highway, so that's how they were able to get a video so easily. And because of that, because it is facing the highway, it is, in effect, a gigantic billboard for the Cybertruck that boldly declares that this is where the Cybertrucks are born right here in Austin, Texas. And uh, if you're, so again, if you haven't gone there yet, if you're not in front of a social media account right now and you're just listening to me, so it's an outline of the profile view of the Cybertruck, the side view, and which I think it looks very cool on like just blasted on the side of a building as this minimalist outline, this minimalist profile image. And also, uh, sort of compounding this in a cool way is remember that Giga Texas is already supposed to be a public space. Not all of it, obviously, but the grounds around it that are right up against the river there. So this image, this this effect, in effect, giant billboard, is probably going to inspire a lot of people once the factory is up and running to pull off the highway, go check it out. And walk around and say, oh, Cybertruck, oh, they build that there? Oh, let's let's go take a look. And there, there'll be the nice grounds that Elon was talking about and that public space next adjacent to the river. So that's really cool. And in, in effect, maybe it'll end up getting people interested in Tesla who weren't interested before. You know, the thought occurs to me after having just said all that, I hope that Giga Texas has uh, factory tours that don't require booking up weeks in advance. I know that might not be logistically feasible, particularly early on, but just sort of saying all that out loud of, oh yeah, if it inspires passers-by to just pull off the highway park and walk around and check things out with the public space, it would be cool if they had just pretty openly available public tours each day, maybe, you know, at the top of every hour or something like that. So that people that did drop in on a dime could just go in and check it out. Because what I can promise you, now I obviously nobody has publicly been inside Giga Texas because it's not done yet. But I and I've said this before about Fremont, but having done the Fremont tour several times, I find it completely inspiring. And I have little doubt that if if somebody did pull off the highway on a whim and start wandering around and go, oh, wow, this is kind of neat. They make this Cybertruck here. Oh, they they offer tour. Okay, oh, we can go in in 20 minutes. Great, let's do that. And somebody, you know, that has doesn't own an EV, hasn't really thought about it, 
goes in and gets the tour and sees the Model Y being made and sees the Cybertrucks being put together, that's, I'm very confident in saying that they're going to be inspired by that and it's probably going to lead to a lot more sales and for the mission's sake, a lot more electric vehicles. So uh, anyway, that all threads back to this giant Cybertruck silhouette that's facing the highway on the side of the building. So I love this. I'm glad they're doing it and not just putting up a plain white building. So bravo, Tesla. I love seeing this. While we're on the subject of vehicle production, Tesla Rati reports via a Chinese source that Tesla Model Y production in Giga Shanghai has hit 1,000 cars per day, again, just on the Y, outpacing Model 3 production there. Quote, After four days of overhaul at Tesla's Shanghai plant last week, the production capacity of Phase 2 Model Y has reached 1,000 units per day. This daily capacity has exceeded the number of Model 3s, which are at 800 units per day. It can be said that the Y-type production has entered the high-yield stage. As previously planned by Tesla, the main production of Q3 is for export, noted uh, Giga Shanghai drone operator Wu Wa in his latest video over Gigafactory Shanghai. Well, we already know that production and sales of the Model Y have surpassed that of the three here in the United States. But I'll be honest, I don't pretend to know or be any kind of knowledgeable expert on what kind of vehicles, what type of vehicles the Chinese market prefers in the way that we all kind of know, generally speaking, that SUVs are huge in America. But apparently there is certainly plenty of demand for them in China as well, or at least for this one specifically, the Model Y specifically. Although part of this equation is, as the story noted, the exporting that Giga Shanghai is doing. Because they're sending Model 3s to Europe, and now they're sending Model Ys all over the place as well, uh, places such as Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand, as I've talked about uh, with all three of those countries recently. And as Tesla Roddy notes, quote, in July, Giga Shanghai exported a total of 24,347 Tesla vehicles abroad, end quote. And if I sit here and do the math on that, that is roughly 75,000 cars in a quarter, which is 300,000 cars per year exported. 300,000 a year that they're sending outside of China. That's a lot. Uh, Anyway, the report continues saying, quote, Tesla Model 3 exports still outnumbered Model Y exports significantly. Tesla China ships 16,000 plus Model 3s abroad and only 8,200 Model Y units. Perhaps, though, that mix is going to be changing at least until Berlin. Giga Berlin comes online and can take over Model Y production for Europe. On this note, remember late last year how Tesla said they might just maybe hit 1 million cars produced this year, 2021? I'm sitting here now. I think they're going to do it. Shanghai has ramped up. Fremont is rolling right along. And both Texas and Berlin should each get a month or two of initial production. Again, likely to be fairly low volume early on. But initial production before the year is out to contribute to the total. 
I would not bet against Tesla getting to a million cars this year. And that's, by the way, after barely eking out 500,000, half a million in 2020. Remember, they just barely did it, right? Just crawled over the finish line there at the end of December. And I'm sitting here confident as a Tesla fan and someone who observes the company closely that they're going to do a million in 2021, which would just be unbelievably amazing growth. It's exciting times regardless, even if they don't quite make it. It's it's just insane growth. Exciting times are here and more exciting times are ahead. Speaking of exciting, full self-driving beta. Last week, I told you about my first experience with the City Streets FSD beta that came right after AI Day. They had that they had it set up right after AI Day. You could go jump in a vehicle with a with an autopilot engineer and get a test ride, which I happily did. And the engineer that I was with said that the car, when I asked him, he said the car was running something beyond beta 9.2. He did not give me any specifics, and I didn't press him on it. But Elon tweeted the following this week. Just I've set this up, so follow along here. Elon saying, quote, FSD beta 9.2 is actually not great in my opinion, but the autopilot slash AI team is rallying to improve it as fast as possible. We're trying to have a single stack for both highway and city streets, but it requires massive neural net retraining, end quote. And then he later followed up with this, quote, just drove FSD beta 9.3 from Pasadena to LAX, much improved with an exclamation mark and an end of a quote. So uh, I recognize here that I have absolutely nothing to compare my experience to since whatever version I wrote in after AI Day was my first time experiencing the software. But I do wonder now if what I got was a demo of 9.3 because it was, as I said last week, incredibly impressive. And regardless, it's it's just good to see the pace of progress increase from a public-facing perspective, obviously, because, you know, I mean, we don't get to see all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes and how far ahead they are there and what kind of crazy stuff that they've got running in like their own internal fleet of cars. But the fact is the beta releases to the public external testers are starting to hit a fairly regular cadence, which I think bodes well for, well, everything really. So we will see uh, if we all end up getting the button in our cars by hopefully the end of the year. I mean, again, we're at the end of August at this point. I'm not sure. It's it's certainly, I mean, we heard about this, that we thought we would see it at the end of last year. And certainly we're, we're pretty far out from that. Uh, and yes, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a lot of work. I mean, they're, they're forging ahead into uncharted territory here, but uh, I'm getting more optimistic about it now that, I have experienced it, and we're seeing this regular cadence of releases. And I'm a little more apt optimistic this week, especially after Elon tweeted the day after the tweets that I just read to you. And he said this, quote, we should be ready for the public beta with beta 10, which goes out a week from Friday, meaning tonight as I record this. He says, uh, or excuse me, a week from tonight. So not, so it'll be, was that? That's September 3rd. Uh, and he says, no point release this week, meaning today as I record. 
And then he continues, it will have a completely retrained neural net, so we will need another few weeks after that for tuning and bug fixes. Best guess is public beta button in about four weeks, end quote. And yes, I know we've heard timeline guesses before that obviously have yet to come true and have been nowhere close to correct in hindsight, but take it for what it's worth and what it's worth to me is the progress that is evident in the beta, as I'm talking about. Will it be about four weeks? Maybe, maybe not. But if Tesla can get the button out in four weeks, it means they will have done so right at the end of the quarter, so it would be something significant that they could trumpet at the next earnings call. Do I think that Elon Musk is tr- is thinking that way and, and uh, aiming for that? No, not at all. I, I think it would just be a happy coincidence. I mean, th- this process obviously has not been rushed. So we'll see what happens, but the, the bottom line here, we are getting closer, even if it feels frustrating, even if it feels disappointing because it has been this long, we are getting closer. The progress is accelerating, which I think is uh, is really exciting stuff. Now, next this week, if you've got an MCU-1 Model S or X, then this next story is for you. Ride the Lightning listener, Mr. Lee, that's what he goes by on Twitter, asked John Carmack, I'll get to him in a second, can you build a game for Tesla, for Tesla's in-cabin entertainment? And while John didn't answer that question, he did respond to Mr. Lee saying something very interesting that could end up being relevant to quite a number of you listening. And John Carmack said, quote, I did kind of volunteer to help them fix what I consider very poor user interface performance on the older Model S that I drive. Their engineers have been sharing data with me, end quote. Now, if you have no idea who John Carmack is, that's okay. He's not necessarily well-known in the Teslaverse. He is not a mainstream celebrity, as it were, but... John Carmack is a very big deal in the video game world. Basically, he is a first ballot video game Hall of Famer. If there were a real video game Hall of Fame, he would be one of the the first people to go into it. Uh, He's one of the most brilliant programmers that the gaming industry has ever seen. He is a big, big part of the reason that the first person uh, shooter genre exists and thrives today. He once reverse engineered Super Mario Brothers on a PC. If you know, and if you, you probably, with with all due respect to my younger listeners, that might not make a lot of sense. But my my older listeners know, like, revert, you know, without having access to the code, like he reverse engineered a Nintendo game, an NES game, on a PC, which ended up turning into a game called Commander Keen, because Carmack took that reverse-engineered Super Mario Brothers to Nintendo and said, hey, how about we do a PC port, which Nintendo rejected. So he ended up doing Commander Keen with the team at id Software, his, his development studio. And then that small team at id Software ended up creating Wolfenstein and then Doom and then Quake, which are names that you may know. Now, 
countless other, it was just, I just want to convey the influence and importance of John Carmack and why this is going to be interesting and relevant to Tesla owners. So countless, and I'm talking countless other major first person shooters have licensed the game engines that John Carmack wrote in order to build their own games on top of it. I'm talking everything from Call of Duty was built on John Carmack's code to Half-Life was built on John Carmack's game code and game engine. I once interviewed John for my day job about 10 years ago when I worked at Official Xbox Magazine before I came to IGN. And when I did, I'd never interviewed anybody like him in the sense that I could just tell from talking to him that his brain was operating on another much higher plane than my own. And he later went on to help turn Oculus into a viable VR product. These days, he's kind of chilling out doing his own thing. If you want to learn more about John Carmack, I encourage you to read the book Masters of Doom by David Kushner. And it it talks a lot about John and also John Romero, who was kind of the the main designer at id Software in those days. And, And it talks about the id Software team in those early Doom years when Doom was being developed and, and went on to just completely change the video game world. Anyway, I know that was a really, really long preamble, but I just wanted to hopefully give you a sense of who this guy is. So all of that is to say that if John Carmack, genius programmer, MCU One Model S owner himself, and he's also a friend of Elon, if John Carmack says that he wants to work on improving the UI performance on the older S's and X's, I can almost guarantee you that it's probably going to turn out well for you, the fellow MCU One SNX owner, if Tesla indeed allows him to actually do the work and then release that work if the Tesla software team pushes that effort out as a software update. I mean, I have no idea what the restraints on John would be here, memory restraints, CPU bandwidth, et cetera, et cetera. But I would be willing to bet lunch that whatever John does, because this guy's so good, it will be a noticeable, tangible, noticeable improvement over the current user experience in those older Teslas. Uh, and if he does it, by the way, I 100% want to try and get him, get John Carmack on this podcast to talk about it. I did tweet at him in response to the tweet of his that I read you earlier saying, hey, when you finish this, I'd love to have you on. I didn't get a response or anything, and maybe he's, you know, who knows, but I will give it my best if indeed this comes to fruition, which I, I suggest you, you, will, you should be rooting for this to happen because this guy will make, he will single-handedly make your experience better. I can promise you that. Finally this week, if you are taking delivery of a Model 3 Standard Range Plus this fall, you might get an iron phosphate battery pack from Giga Shanghai as Tesla tries their best to keep up with demand, which continues to be through the roof. Tesla sent a communication to employees that I was sent a copy of by a source at the company. It's also since been posted on Twitter anyway, not not by me, but by somebody else. So uh, I don't think I'm talking out of school by reading it to you. It says, quote, due to limited supply and strong customer demand, we are introducing the Model 3 Standard Range Plus battery pack widely used in Europe and Asia to North America. This battery has a range of 253 miles estimated, 
Model 3 Standard Range Plus customers who have already placed an order should reference their accounts for timing of their delivery. Customers who have an estimated delivery date later than September 30th will receive an email informing them of this Model 3 Standard Range Plus option and inviting them to browse our inventory brochure where we will have this option available for those who want to opt in and receive earlier delivery. In addition to the customers in the Model 3 Standard Range Plus backlog, all customers are welcome to purchase these cars via the inventory brochure." End quote. Now, on the surface, this looks like a downgrade, right? And in the official, technical, EPA-rated range sense, it is. You're getting 10 fewer miles of range in this battery pack, which again, is the iron phosphate pack, which has uh, no cobalt in it, so uh, fewer rare earth minerals, compared to the nickel-based pack that they've used up until now that's in every single one of our cars. However, there's a key difference that's that sort of um, in my maybe I don't maybe negates maybe doesn't that's up to you, but certainly uh, tips the scales a little bit, uh, maybe a little more evenly when comparing it to the 263 mile pack. So the iron pack is designed to be charged to 100 percent all the time. So in doing that, you would have 253 miles of range every single day versus around 237 for the nickel-based standard range plus pack that, that's charged to 90%, which you know 90% is the highest that you should ever charge a pack on a day-to-day basis unless you are going on a trip and you need more than that 237 miles, more than that 90%. Now, Elon himself commented on this, tweeting, quote, Our intent with this pack is that product experience is roughly equivalent between nickel and iron. I'd personally slightly opt for the iron pack as it wants to be charged to 100%, whereas nickel prefers about 90%, end quote. Now, here is where I really hope that Tesla takes action, because I think if they do not clearly communicate what Elon just said about the differences in these two packs and the charging behaviors in them, I, in fact, I think Tesla needs to over communicate it. But if they do not clearly communicate this to these new standard range plus customers, I think Tesla is going to risk unnecessarily upsetting those new buyers and, by the way, as a secondary crappy effect, giving the fudsters that are always lurking in the muck new headlines to run with. I mean, the customers are very much most important. You've got to clearly tell them that, yes, this battery technically has 10 fewer miles of range than what we have been offering and what you can still wait for, by the way. They're just telling people it's going to be a longer wait to get a nickel pack. But just tell them, hey, this iron pack, this other battery pack is designed to be charged to 100% every single day so that it kind of more or less balances it out. You know, I I think that's not completely, but in in effect, I think in a 98% of the time, you're probably actually better off uh, range wise, you know, other than unless you're taking a road trip now. People like you and I follow this stuff every day. You're listening to my weekly Tesla podcast, which I appreciate. So you're aware of this stuff. You're plugged into this stuff. But the average 
new standard range plus buyer that's just buying a Tesla because they've heard how great they are and they maybe drove one and like, yes, this is great. I want to buy one and and the electricity is cheap and I don't have to buy gas anymore and there's very little maintenance. But that average buyer would uh, would see this and understandably say, well, wait a second. The car I ordered has 263 miles of range and the car I'm getting has 200 and, or I that I can opt to get sooner has 253 miles of range? What the heck's up with that? You know, that's, that is an avoidable pain point for Tesla. If they just clearly communicate this to people and then the FUD factor that I was talking about, hey, I can see the headlines now if Tesla doesn't get out in front of this properly. I could see Tesla lowers Model 3 range but charges same price. Elon is evil, you know, and it's whatever other crap they're going <laughs> to throw in there. But but you see my point. So uh, now I did tweet this at Elon in a very respectful, constructive manner. And while he did not reply, he did actually like the tweet. So which that at least tells me that he saw it. He acknowledged it. And at least, OK, maybe they'll take action if he's processed what I had to say and, and agrees that some over-communication and, and explanatory uh, customer communication needs to happen. So again, hopefully the Tesla team has a plan to email every single standard range plus order holder to clearly explain the differences in the usage behavior with these two battery packs. Again, because they have emailed everyone. I want to clarify that they have sent out emails. Perhaps I'm sure some of you out there have, have gotten it, but that email does not explain the differences in the packs that I just told you about as I think Tesla needs to do. So hopefully they do that, but uh, very interesting to see that the iron pack coming in, it actually kind of follows the battery day uh, plan. You remember that they said at battery day that the, the lower priced cars, the, the, you know, shorter range cars at the lower price, they would go with the iron pack for reasons like this with the, you know, it's, they can be charged up all the way there, you know, there's, there, there are advantages to doing it and save the nickel based packs for the longer range and higher performance vehicles. So I actually think that the LFP packs, the iron packs are probably going to become permanent. I mean, they're, they're already doing it out of Giga Shanghai. So I would not at all be surprised if the nickel-based 263-mile standard range plus Model 3 pack in Fremont ends up going away completely before too long, and they just switch over to the 253-mile iron pack, which, again, they still need to communicate that because it's every single Tesla in the United States, again, accepting those other ones from Giga Shanghai, but all of the American cars, every single one, it's, yep, you charge it to 80 or 90%, but only go higher than that if you're going on a road trip, if you're going on a long drive and need it. Otherwise, you know, keep for the battery's health, keep it to 90% or so. And they're going to, if they do make a permanent change, they're, they really need to communicate that, no, it's 253 miles, but just charge it up to 100% every day. So, Here's hoping that Tesla has a plan for doing that. That is all of the Tesla news I've got for you this week, but stick with me. I've got plenty of your excellent Ride the Lightning hotline calls coming up right after this. 
This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. Welcome to the part of the podcast where I get to hear from you guys, the Ride the Lightning hotline. If you've got a question, comment, or discussion topic for the podcast, I welcome and invite you to call in with it and be a part of this podcast. You can call in in one of two easy ways. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question, please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get through as many calls each week as possible, and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can call and just leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline anytime, 24-7. It's a toll-free number. Just dial it up. It's 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Kicking us off this week is Darren from Roanoke. Hey, Ryan. This is Darren calling from Roanoke, Virginia. Um, wanted to mention something that I noticed with my recent software update. I'm currently on 2021.12.25.7. I got this update maybe a week and a half ago. And for some reason, um, my ability to move the music up by just tapping the thumbnail does not work anymore. And I know it's been mentioned on the podcast several times with a pro tip that you can move that up uh, to the top or to the middle or to the bottom just by tapping on it. Uh, but they seem to... I guess somebody on the software team thought that that was um, not something they wanted to have anymore. So I'm kind of bummed out about it. I wondered if anybody else has had that issue. Because, um, I, I mean, it's not a big deal, but it, it's kind of annoying because I, I really love that feature. Um, just wanted to point that out. Thanks for all you do, Ryan. Have a good day. Well, Darren, I know that there's been a version or two released since you sent this call, but I wanted to play it anyway because it is relevant. And I am glad that you called in with this because I had noticed it too. And I thought I'd gone insane because I also love that feature. I do use it. It was a great pro tip, a nice shortcut. And like you, I went to actually use it fairly recently and it wasn't there anymore. And like you, I was disappointed. The good news though is that the removal of this was clearly a bug and not an intentional change because shortly after I listened to your call, in fact, I think it might have literally been the same day or anyway, it doesn't matter, a new software version. We've had one or two versions pushed out since your phone call, but uh, any new software update that you've received since fixes it. So hopefully you and pretty much everybody else out there has that functionality restored as well. Cheers, Darren. Thank you very much. Here's Neil coming up next. Hello, my name is Neil, and I have an, a, pla a plaid on order. And I just saw a clip on YouTube because I'm planning on putting PPF on my car to protect the, the paint, of course. But one guy said that covering up the 
sensors on the bumper it would actually disable their parking sensors and hence the full automated driving. Is that true? I would like to find an answer before I cover my car with PPF. Thank you very much. Hello, Neil. Yes, there is some truth to that. Any good detailer will simply cut out the circles where the sensors are. However, they'll cut the film so that the there's no film over those sensors, and it solves the problem very easily. If you were here and able to see my car up close, you would see exactly what I'm talking about. But I hope that helps, and here is hoping that you get your Plaid Model S soon. In fact, maybe you've already been lucky enough to take delivery of it. Next is Brad from Maine, also talking Plaid. Hi, Ryan. It's Brad from Maine. I, um, I have a couple comments about the new Plaid Model S. Um, one is you mentioned about the brakes sound, seem like the same physical brakes, but I wonder, since there's three motors, it might actually have more braking performance because the regenerative braking on all three motors. I even wonder if it could regenerate more or if the, if you have two motors versus one, you, it regenerates more, but having three motors to regenerate while having the, the regular physical brakes, it might actually be even more performance. And another suggestion, if anyone is crazy enough to do it, is what if you had a Model S plaid and you wrapped it in a plaid design? That would be very flashy and funny to see. Have a good one. Hey, Brad, your question is an excellent one. And I think I actually covered this uh, last week. So I'm actually glad I'm playing your call now. And that is, yes, I got to drive the plaid. And I that was one of the things I commented on. If you heard, I think, last week's show is I definitely noticed a, a heavier regen, a, a, a more of a regen effect on the braking, which again, I liked. I, I, I appreciate that. I like a heavier regen. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, and presumably it is because there is the third motor there. Now, as to doing a plaid wrap, I can tell you that if you Google the unplugged performance Plaid Model S race car that professional driver Randy Popst ran at Pike's Peak recently, you will see that they've done a lot of the car in Plaid. However, I'd like to uh, one-up your suggestion by throwing this out there. What about redoing the seats with a Plaid fabric pattern? It would be the most 1970s Tesla ever on the inside. Thanks so much, Brad. Here's Bob from Austin up next. Well, Ryan, humanoid robots have been in the realm of science fiction for many decades. Robots that can perform housework have been demonstrated in recent years. But Tesla has now brought the concept of working robots that resemble the human form into the forefront. It is no longer science fiction. Since Tesla introduced the Tesla bot, I feel it's reasonable to start speculating. You mentioned on your podcast that you and your wife had talked about purchasing one for housework and you picked a number of, say, $10,000. Can't these Tesla bots be programmed for more than just housework? Given a powerful computer, they could conceivably drive cars. I do just fine with my two eyes and the ability to swivel my head. I don't need eight eyes to safely drive. So the Tesla bot could be developed to be a chauffeur. It's interesting that FSD comes in at $10,000. Given a working Tesla bot, I could spend that 10000 on the Tesla bot and have a self-driving car plus a handyman around the house. And suddenly, all of my cars are potentially self-driving. With one advance in technology, our legacy cars could be self-driving. 
But since Tesla wants to move us away from ICE to electric vehicles, they could program the robot to be able to drive only fully electric cars. If that happened, think of the virtual stampede to purchase EVs. Science fiction? Not anymore. Let's put this aside for 10 to 20 years and see how things work out. Absolutely excellent point, Bob. I mean, I certainly didn't mean to imply that housework could be the Tesla bot's only consumer level function. I mean, I agree that in theory, it would absolutely be able to drive any car. It's got feet and hands with fingers, plus surround cameras in its head and the power of Dojo behind it. That is certainly a plausible possibility. I imagine that the robotics team at Tesla is extremely energized by the just it's a wide open blue sky challenge for them here that, that's laid before them. It's not a narrow like, how do we fit this into this and do this thing? It's, no, it's how do we make this real? It's a really it's a really interesting, huge goal that allows them to dream really, really big. And that's got to be exciting for them to work on. Always great to hear from you, Bob. Uh, one more caller from this week. It is Michael from Milbray talking about superchargers being opened up to other non-Tesla vehicles. Go ahead, Michael. Hey, Ryan. It's Michael from Milbray. Longtime listener, longtime caller. I wanted to address some potential concerns people might have about the superchargers opening up to outside automakers. Um, as a Tesla owner since 2016, I've experienced supercharging over the last five years, and let me say it's gotten a whole lot better in, the, in that time. Uh, five years ago, I would pull up to a supercharger and you know, have to wait 10, 20 minutes pretty often uh, for a stall to open up, and now that almost never happens. With more cars on the network, the stations are more, more plentiful, and there are more stalls in each station. And, you know, you end up with sort of a law of large averages. The stations are much more predictable in terms of their capacity. Um, and as long as Tesla keeps up with the increased availability, which they have so far demonstrated that they do, um, I see the network only getting better. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that addresses what other, other people may, may fear could just make things worse. I, I, I think it's going to be very positive for all of us. Take care. Michael, I agree. Though I think it is fair to point out that you and I are living in California where, yes, there are the most Teslas, but also the most superchargers. You know as well as I do, since you drive uh, i5 from time to time as well, we are blessed with multiple massive supercharger stations between San Francisco and Los Angeles with two more, the new Tejon Ranch and the Harris Ranch upgrade that are under construction right now. Not everywhere is quite so lucky. You know, the non-California places, those are the ones that I worry more about with regard to Tesla opening up the network. But you're right. The company has definitely done a lot of work in this department over the past couple of years in particular. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Because it's something I've been talking about it on the show for a while. Like, oh, I hope Tesla can keep up with the growth of the of the fleet and the demand for the cars with regard to superchargers and service centers. And certainly on the supercharger side, they seem to be doing a pretty darn good job of that. Thank you, as always, for your call. And that will wrap it up for the Ride the Lightning Hotline this week. But I will get to more of your calls next week. Give me a call anytime. As I said at the top of this segment, I give you the two 
easy ways that you can call in and be a part of Ride the Lightning here on the hotline. So give me a ring anytime. And with that, I'll come right back. I've got some more show for you. A couple more things I want to talk about right after this. This is the part of the show where I tell you about what I'm up to in my car, which I've named The Spirit of Adventure after my favorite Pixar movie, Up, and the uh, the blimp in that, in that movie. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show the Tesla Owners Club of Austin putting up that cool video of the Cybertruck silhouette on the side of Giga Texas. Well, I want to give a shout out to one of my two awesome local clubs, the Tesla Owners Club of Silicon Valley, they have an awesome event coming up that I was, I, I just, my eyes lit up when I saw this come in through email and I signed up instantly. This is an awesome event. I love the idea here. I'm happy to mention it, not only to give club leadership a shout out for what I think is going to be a really fun event, but hey, throw it out there to the other clubs too if this inspires any of you to do something similar because I think this is going to be great. Anyway, they are having a uh, an event at a professional photo studio where you can get professional pictures of your car taken in a studio, which of course is easy in the logistical sense because they're electric, they can be driven indoors. So no problem there. And it's, uh, I mean, it's not free, you know, you gotta pay to get the pictures, but but still it'll, even if you don't do the pay for the pictures, you can just come and hang out with everybody and it'll be a fun event. So I love that. That's coming up in late September, about a month from now. Signed up for that. I'll have to get my car all cleaned up nice and ready to go. So, yeah, I just want to say I am very grateful. As someone who used to coordinate a car club, I did it for uh, our local DeLorean club. I, hell, I wasn't the only one, let me be clear, but I, I was part of a, a group that that coordinated our local DeLorean club back in my Northern California DeLorean days. I also did it back when I lived in Arizona. That was when I had nothing but time because I was in my uh, early 20s. So no wife, no kid, no dog. It was uh, nothing but time to do DeLorean stuff. Well, you know, these days I am very busy with obviously my full-time job and family, but also this podcast. I mean, this is my contribution to the Tesla community, whether you enjoy it or not. And if you've made it this far, I certainly hope that you do enjoy it each week. But all this is to say, I am very grateful as someone who loves my Tesla and loves the community. I'm very grateful to have awesome club leadership because, again, I don't have time to step into that role myself. So uh, it's if it's really a lot of work, I can tell you from experience. So this is to suggest to you very politely, the next time you get a chance, the next time you see or talk to your local club, your local Tesla club coordinators, just thank them. Thank them because there's a lot more that goes into planning these events behind the scenes. And it's a lot of personal time, free time that goes into this stuff. So, you know, try to express a little gratitude. I'm sure you already do. But just, you know, think think of them. Think well of those people that help uh, put on these fun activities for all of us. How about an entertainment recommendation for this week? Going back to video games because an excellent new video game released this week. And that is a game called Psychonauts 2 which is an action-adventure platformer, and it's out on either of the Xbox consoles, either the Xbox One or the Xbox Series X or S. It's also on PlayStation 4 and PC. 
You don't need to have played the first one because it's the sequel to what was a, what I think is fairly labeled a cult classic from 2005. So 16 years ago, and now we get Psychonauts 2, you definitely, they do a little recap of the first one that kind of introduces you to the world and the characters, but it's just a, a very well-written video game. It's artistically a beautiful game to look at. It's very, it's just very, it's got a lot of heart to it. It's uh, it's just a tremendous game and it's on Xbox Game Pass if you're a subscriber to that. Uh, and if you're not, it's worth purchasing anyway. So Psychonauts 2, check it out. Uh, also, this is, I don't know, apropos of nothing, but I wanted to give a shout out to my new favorite beer, which is, I'm not like a big drinker, but I, you know, I, I like a beer maybe on the weekend, like once a week kind of thing. And uh, I was introduced by listener Kaz from San Diego. I, when I was down in San Diego, I, I, I got together for lunch with Kaz and got to catch up with him a little bit. And he introduced me to a, a, a craft beer, a San Diego craft beer called Mother Earth. That's the, the brewery. Mother Earth Nitro Cali Creamin. It is a vanilla ale out of San Diego, and it is fantastic. So uh, I'm just going to throw that out. If you are looking, if you like craft beers and want to go find and try a new beer, you could give that a go. I find it, I've managed to find it up here in San Francisco at BevMo, which I know kind of has a lot of stuff from all over the place. So maybe that's your best bet. But anyway, there's that. And uh, last thing here, a couple more. I've got like literally one or two of my, just for fun, you know, Tesla-inspired Hedgelord NFTs are still available from that first collection. There will be another collection at some point down the road, but there's one or two left. So if you're if you're curious to uh, check out my NFTs, you can find them at www.hedgelord.net. And with that, a pro tip of the week, Sean from Atlanta. Go ahead, Sean. Hey, Ryan, this is Sean, an attorney and future engineer for SpaceX in Atlanta. Uh, just giving a call back on a pro tip for charging speeds. Um, a lot of electricians will install eight gauge wiring for EV chargers in a house. And this will typically allow you to charge at the full uh, rate for the mobile connector, but this is not gonna allow you to charge at the full speeds for the wall connector. So what I've done on all of my family's uh, outlet installs is specified I wanted six gauge wiring and then to leave an additional one to two feet of wiring in the wall behind where a NEMA 1450 outlet is being installed. And this gives me the option later to pull out the NEMA 1450 outlet and install the wall connector and get the full speeds of the wall connector. Uh, if you don't specify that you want to eventually be able to run a 60 amp circuit on that uh, that wire run, you will not be able to. And the only solution there is to rip all that wire out and redo it. So it's just a, a cost savings and a uh, avoiding a future headache to go ahead on the front end and spec the larger wiring. It'll be a little bit more expensive, but it will be worth it long run if you ever want to switch over to a wall connector and get higher charging speeds. Thanks. That is extremely helpful and good knowledge for all of us, whether we are a current owner or a future Tesla owner. So Sean, thank you very much for that. And a friendly reminder to all of you out there, if you have a pro tip of the week that you'd like to share with your fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, give me a call. 
the same way that you dial in to the regular Ride the Lightning hotline, and I will get my ears on that and perhaps feature you on an upcoming episode. And with that, let me mention a few friends of the podcast before I hit the road. I will start with the Snap Plate. My friends at everyamp.com slash RTL. The Snap Plate for all four Teslas, S3, X, and Y, is the front license plate bracket for people that hate front license plate brackets but need to have one on the front of the car. It snaps on and off in seconds, but it's secure, and nobody's going to just take it off. It will stay on, but you get your tool that comes with it to put it on and off easily. It's going to be paint safe, grill safe, radiator safe, and autopilot safe. It will, there's no ad- adhesive, there's no automotive tape that sticks it to the front of your car, which is how uh, the one that Tesla gives you works. So highly encourage you to use the snap plate instead, which you can get at everyamp.com RTL. Meanwhile, you've got abstractocean.com purveyors of many fine aftermarket Tesla accessories, such as the rear footwell lighting kit, the just general replacement interior uh, lighting kits that, you know, if you want to do different colors for that accent lighting in the interior, not just white, you could do purple, you could do whatever you want. They've got a ton of stuff. Just browse around, check it out, abstractocean.com. Pile everything that you like into your online shopping cart and then use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTLPODCAST for the coupon code all one word there. Uh, meanwhile, Immaculate Reflections, irdetailing.com is the website. His Yelp page, yelp.com slash Immaculate Reflections. Instagram is the handle Immaculate underscore Reflections. And that's my friend Jeff McGovern. He is an incredibly talented detailer and a wonderful human being on top of that. He will take amazing care of your car, whether you want to get paint correction, paint protection film, ceramic coating, a combination of those, all of those, whatever you want to do. If you are going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area with your car, I highly encourage that you send it Jeff's way at Immaculate Reflections, and it will it will be returned to you looking better than new. I can promise that from personal experience. I mean, mine does. Uh, it's, it's just astounding that the work that a professionally professional and talented detailer like Jeff can do. So again, the website, irdetailing.com. And oh, yes, of course, mention that you are a Ride the Lightning listener and Jeff has a discount for you. So don't forget that part of the equation. Meanwhile, puretesla.com slash RTL is your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode needs. 49 bucks is all it takes from puretesla.com slash RTL to get the 128 gigabyte kit mailed to you. It's micro SD based. It's going to last a long, long time, much longer than the USB flash memory drive that comes with the car these days. Free shipping anywhere in the US too, which is nice. So go to puretesla.com slash RTL and get yours. Finally, my friends at Jada have all kinds of awesome products, an entire product line at this point. For the 2021 threes and whys, they have the USB hub console that's a storage organizer, USB hub, Apple watch charger, and AirPod charger all in one. And for other products, they've got the SSD drive, uh, but really the big one for the non-2021s 
is the wireless charging pad. They're on version four of it. I'm running version three in my car and it's great, but four has even nicer fit and finish. Uh, it's like it's got uh, sort of skinned in an, an even nicer material. So I am a big fan of that product. I highly recommend it. If you do not have a wireless charging uh, capability already built into your car from the factory, a coupon code is here for you. That code is RTL, very simple. That'll get you a nice discount on any of these products. And if you do want to get any of the Jada line of products, please use my referral link because full transparency, they'll throw me a couple of bucks from the sale if you purchase through my link. That link is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. And Jada is spelled J-E-D-A. Finally, I want to mention... Uh, the Patreon, that is the primary, number one, most desired, most preferred way for you to support the podcast, podcast if you are willing and interested and able to do so. You can find all the information on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And there's all the different tiers of support there, starting uh, at just five bucks a month. Or you could do the, the annual option and get a 5% discount. So it's 57 if you just want to do once for the year at that tier, which that will get you early access to each week's episode. But you can go up to the to the 10, to the 20, to the 25. There's even a 50, uh, which the 50 is a private one-on-one -on -one Google Hangout with me every month, along with all of the other benefits and uh, one of the maximum plaid tier, which is the $25 tier, one of the benefits there is the monthly group Google Hangout, which is for the maximum plaid tier folks. They get invited every month and anyone that makes a pledge or increases an existing pledge gets a one-time invite to that monthly group Google Hangout where we all just hang out, talk Tesla, have a great time. I, I, it's been probably seven, eight months of that now, maybe even a little more. And I just, the hour flies by every time. I have a great time talking with everybody. It's just fun talking with like-minded enthusiasts about this thing that we love, Tesla. So uh, that's one of the perks of being a maximum plaid tier backer. And the next one of those monthly hangouts, I'm gonna do it next weekend, Labor Day weekend, probably Sunday, probably 2 p.m. That seems to be a time where that catches most time zones. So I'll send out calendar invites for that. Uh, but if you, again, want to join the Patreon, which I would be humbled and grateful for, if you feel like my effort here week in and week out has earned your support, I hope you'll do, I hope you'll feel that way at some point. And again, the website is patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And with that, let me mention the plaid, maximum plaid, and the Roadster in Space, that's the $50 tier. The Roadster in Space tier backers. I will start with the Roadster in Space tier crew. Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, and Crafty Geek. Thank you all very much for your extreme generosity. And then the Maximum Plaid crew, that's Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, 
Eric Brown, Mark Eversoll, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, MT, Will Stedman, Tyler Smith, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Matt Kalin, and Zachary Howard. Thank you all so much. And the Plaid crew, starting with the newest Plaid backer, who goes by the username Not Elon Musk, which seems like exactly what Elon Musk would do if he were backing this podcast. Hmm. Now, <laughs> thank you so much to Not Elon Musk, along with George Cassioppo, David Brander, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Jerry and Mary Smith, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla Owners East Bay Club, which is, by the way, also part of that professional photography event that I'm excited about next month. So thank you to the East Bay crew for helping coordinate that. Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Joshua Walker, and Rick Dean. Thank you all so very, very much for your continued support and generosity towards me and my efforts here on Ride the Lightning. So that will do it for a sprawled out and snoozing Daisy the Boxer. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 317. Happy electric motoring, my friends. And I'll be back same time as always next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make, it's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.